Hello and you are very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host Sarah Travers and throughout the series I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm joined by James or Jim Nicholson, director of JN Wines. James, I'm looking forward to this. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you in the studio. So, James, you have had quite a career to date, but I'd love to know where it all began. So where were you born and brought up? Well, sort of Sainfield in County Down. I suppose it was, I suppose my business is a result of an academic failure. <laughs> oh, what happened? I know I, I spent five, uh, I remember spending five years at Down High, a couple of days at Methodist College, a couple of years at Methodist College with very mediocre uh, results. Um, I sort of quite a family circumstance, which changed a lot, lot of things for me. So I decided, uh, my brother luckily at that stage had bought a pub, so there was somewhere I could go to to work. So at sort of 17, I set off to Crossgar where he had the local pub, and that was eventually built into a restaurant. And I stayed there for about five years, and then that's when I began the the wine journey. So you said you had, you know, something that happened in your life. Isn't it amazing how, you know, you start out and you've no clear direction and, and you take an opportunity, you go through a door and then opportunities abound as they have in, in your circumstances. But um, when did the love of wine start particularly or when did the passion for wine start? I think we started the restaurant and I was travelling from Belfast. I was sort of living on my own from the age of 18 and I was travelling to Crossgar every morning on the bus. Um, we'd set up the, the, the restaurant which was pretty successful. Um, I was managing it. Um, goodness only knows why I was managing it because I certainly wasn't very well qualified. And remind people of the restaurant in case anybody it can remember. It was a village in Crossgar and hence I'm still in that same village with, with one of our establishments. And I just enjoyed the whole process of getting the wine list sorted. Taste, I, st- I didn't taste anything until I was 19. Didn't taste any alcohol until I was 19. And then I was really fascinated. So I would read wine books coming from Oxford Street bus station down to Crossgar every day. I started to read insatiable sort of demand for wine books. So I'd, every book that had been published on wine I had read, but I'd never travelled to any wine vineyards at that stage. I had no sort of training and decided after my very ropey A-level results that that was really the last exam I would do. And to this day, I have not sat another exam and I'm the least qualified person in the, in the business that I have. And has that ever meant or led to any imposter syndrome or anything like that? Because sometimes people feel, oh gosh, you know, the fact that you've had to tell me that right now at the start, does that does that feel like it held you back in any way? No, no I would encourage all young people who work for us. We have a very strong programme of education taken through diploma. We have one, one of our young men who's going to start his MW, his Master of Wine, which is the ultimate um, exam to hold in wine. But it doesn't preclude, preclude you from enjoying education. I mean, you can educate yourself, you can educate a lot of of what's going on without necessarily going through that formal process of sitting exams and getting a a sticker and and moving on. Uh, When you were studying your exams, what did you think you might be? Uh, Law was the one thing I wanted to do and I had a 
I had to get two A's to go to Lancaster University. Fell well short of that. Um, my studying capacity, my, my ability to study and to keep focused is, is fairly limited, I think. so. Yeah. I uh, share that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. And you know the way usually when you talk to people, there have been key people in their lives that have been really good mentors or have, have helped with that passion or the love. You said you devoured the books about wine, but I wonder was there any particular person that was writing those books or any particular person that you just thought they're, they're amazing or they, they, they helped you? With someone like Chances Robinson, Chances was the f- really the, the first person to start writing these wonderful um, books, very explicit, um, well-written. Um, she's obviously master of wine, runs her own, uh, she's got her own website now very successfully, and she's really the grand dam probably of the wine business. So I would have gravitated toward a, a lot of her books at that point. So what happened next? You were still in the restaurant trade, you were devouring all of the books. How did you take the next step? Well, when I was 22, I st- set the business up. Um, so 22? 22 years of age, which is astonishing now. Uh, but of course, 22 year, years of age now is probably more like 30 when I was, was, <laughs> was growing up. And so then I said, right, I'm going to the wine business. I got myself an overdraft of £10,000, which I exceeded in about three months and Gosh. was called uh, to account by the bank and that was quite a good learning curve because it taught me do not depend on banks the rest of your life so I, I got free from banks the, the, as, as soon as, as you could. I possibly could yeah right so how did you do that by just where I was working probably seven o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock every night for about 10 years. And you just stayed in the black and you weren't borrowing? Well, I was borrowing, yeah, but I was wanted to get free of that. I mean, the first thing I did was buy myself a green Ford Cortina, a large Cortina estate, put uh, air bubbles in the back of the car so I could carry 50 cases of wine. Of course, I had no employees. I had one lady coming in to do bookkeeping for four hours once a week. So that was really the start. Oh, my goodness. So I have to just delve a little deeper into that. 22 years old, you're in Crossgar, you set up a business. Was it JN Wines then? It was James Nicholson Wine Merchant. James Nicholson Wine Merchant. And did you have a customer? Who was the first customer? Funny, the first customer turned out to be a good friend of mine, Dennis Waterworth, who was in the Primrose Bar in Balnehinch at that point. And Dennis bought some wine, probably took some pity on me and said, better, better give it. Of course, you, those days, people didn't drink wine. There was Brands, there was Matthias Rose, there was Blue Nun, there was Black Tar. So it was a completely different time. That's so funny. In my, on my script, on my notes in front, I just remember my parents, you know, drinking Blue Nun and Black Tar is exactly and what I've written. And it wasn't very regularly. It wasn't something that, that they did per se. But so what was the business? What was the concept at the time? What was the business model? It was really supplying restaurants, hotels, um, wholesale, because that's the business I came from. And I thought there really is a niche here because I really had a couple of breweries supplying me. Um, They didn't have much sort of inventory. The interesting wines weren't available to me. So I I then started to buy wines in the UK. I picked up a couple of agencies. So I wasn't at that point shipping anything directly as we do nowadays nowadays. So that was the sort of start of it. And you were talking there about buying the car. And did you literally get on the ferry and, uh, and drive and go and get these wines? Where did you source them from? No, we took some property in Downpatrick, uh, 57 to 63 St. Patrick's Avenue. So we had a, an actual, with an actual cellar, which was, was quite fun. So we had those premises for about five years. 
so everything was delivered in and I was going to try and sell wine Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and then I delivered Thursday afternoon, Friday, did all deliveries myself. Yeah. Every single one. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I've seen you at so many events over the years and I mean obviously you'd, you you go to events now and you would speak on the wines and it's always about tasting menus and, and accompanying the wine to the food. Um, what were people saying to you at the time? when you came up with this business idea? What did those at home say? What did people say to you about what you were doing? Well, my brother said I was mad. It was, the business would last for maybe 12 months. I was lucky. Why did you not listen? Um, well, when you're 20 years, two years of age, you don't really listen to anyone. You've got your own ideas um, and you there's an arrogance. Um, there's an expectation. So you just literally keep keep your head buried and keep going and it really took eight to ten years to f to establish to take the business to a, to a proper business level for the first five years it was really a, a one-man band then there was a i was capable of buying a van then i was capable of buying a forklift so i can drive a van i can drive a forklift <laughs> so i can if everyone tells me they're leaving the place at least at least i can do most of the tasks so, you know, you've been doing this now for over 40 years. Do you still love it? Yeah, I do. So That's why I've, I've probably stayed with the business for so long. If I hadn't a passion for it, because that initial passion burns as brightly as it did uh, probably in the first year. It's easier now because I've got a fantastic team of people uh, and that's been the key to the success of the business. It's certainly not me. It's just been able to afford... And you can't afford not to have good people in your business. That's what drives it. Yeah, it's actually over 46 years. Um, so how many staff members do you have uh, We've now? closed now to sort of 50. And if you took indirectly, that's probably about 65. Gosh, you've achieved so much. And, and yet you give back so much. You're passionate too about young people and helping people. And and do you, do you tell them, get into this business as well? I don't know about getting. It's getting into the business that suits you if you can... If you can get passionate about what you want to do, if you can be detailed um, and you care about what you're doing and particularly getting into looking for a niche, uh, you know, if you're going to compete against Amazon, there's no point in having the same product. Uh, you need to know what you're selling. You need a quality product. And I think that's that's basically the way forward. You have to offer service. You have to offer a bit of quality. You'll always survive if you're doing a good job and you're customer focused. You're not going to survive if you're doing a pretty bad job. The wine industry has completely transformed and the way that we consume wine, even on the island of Ireland, has, as you said, totally moved on from the days of Blue Nun and Black Tire, though I have seen that they've come back. They've become uh, a little fashionable again at times. But just talk us, about, talk us through the transformation. What changed? Why did wine suddenly become so big? I think because it's a very interesting subject, People are traveling a lot more. They're more um, ambitious. And I think they're looking for experiences. People are going off to Bordeaux. They're going to America. They'd like to go tasting. And the general public are much better informed than they would have been, certainly in the early days. And we're always encouraging people, drink some higher quality. Um, don't have one good bottle of wine at the weekend. I'd want to see people drinking three, four, five bottles of wine at the weekend. Enjoy something good. Um, appreciate it. Um, so when you say something good, what should you be paying for a good bottle of wine? I think to get something with some intelligence attached to it, but well made, you're 
starting to play 11, 12, 13 pounds at the minimum level. If you're paying for something at 5.99, there's three or four pounds of that as VAT and duty. So the wine in the bottle is probably something around 50 pence. But yet when you do go abroad and you go into the supermarkets there, you could buy um, local wines for maybe one, two, three euro. And oftentimes people say these are lovely. What's the difference? Well, I think even then you really want to be paying minimum five, six, seven euros a bottle, around about seven to ten if you're in Portugal, France, Spain, Italy. And remember the duty rates much lower. In, In Portugal, for example, there is no duty on wine. Um, France, it's it's minimal. VAT is much more reduced. I mean, we're now one of the highest taxed companies, countries in the world. You know, yeah. so it's pretty incredible. And how have you coped during Brexit and after um, with with I suppose get supply and demand and your supply chains? I think for a lot of people in the wine industry, the two years of pandemic were probably the most successful. Um, I think people at home. Or drinking, yes, drinking probably a too bit, much, a little bit more maybe than they yes. should have done. Yes, uh, they talk about the COVID stone, and I think a lot of that could have been sort of the wine calories well, at time as it well. It kind of took me back to the days too. I was back in the warehouse preparing orders. It was actually quite a fun period for. Did about, you enjoy that uh, for four months? Yeah, and had a great team of people. It was pretty good camaraderie and good fun. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services a niche business law practice located in the heart of Newry City. We provide legal advice and representation to individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries on an assortment of legal matters which can affect a business such as corporate, commercial, employment, dispute resolution, regulatory and compliance. We focus on providing legally sound, commercial and practical advice to our clients. To get in touch, contact 028-30-262200 or visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk to find out more about the firm and our services. Tell us about the JN Wine Club. Yeah, this takes a bit of the um, work out of it for people we do a case every bi-monthly we do a case a fairly straightforward case of wine it's about works out about 10 pounds a bottle and they get a good case of wine then they can upgrade to another level two other levels until you get you can upgrade to six just get six bottles of wine every three months of of decent fairly high quality wine that you can enjoy and can you get to choose the wines that you want or do some people just say surprise me no, these are wines that we will choose for you people. You select. Yeah, but some people give us their preferences. If they don't want white wine, it's all red. They don't want red wine, it's all white. They don't want rosé. So they can actually select. Mm-hmm. To a large extent, they can select the style and balance of what they want to drink. Do you have a favourite wine or do you find that you're always trying something different and changing? No, I have to be tasting everything. Tasting everything. Finding wines at £100 a bottle is quite easy. Um we sat a hundred of the general public down and tasted them and say, yeah, that's good. So our skill, if we have one, is trying to find wines that we can sell around the 10, 12 pound level that, you, that, that are pretty exceptional value for money and exhibit high quality. So that sounds quite an exciting job, traveling around and finding those wines. But I'm sure it's, it's a hard slog. But just tell me what a typical day would be for you. Uh, traveling? Yeah. 
Yeah, we'd, we'd say I'm just come back from Bordeaux. I spent five days there. So the morning would start seven o'clock, uh, light breakfast. It's very important because you go to taste early in the morning. If you don't have something to eat, it's tricky. We'd, our first appointment would typically be quarter to nine, half past eight. Uh, and those appointments would continue on through until about six o'clock in the evening. And then we'd probably stop with a producer and have something to eat at seven o'clock, half seven. Back in the hotel by 11 o'clock, half 11, the same process starts next morning. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, when I talk to people maybe who are cooking an awful lot or baking an awful lot, they tend to, you know, the last thing they want to see is another cake or a chocolate in the evenings. Does the same ring true with wines or is it is it a slippery slope sometimes? No, it's sometimes the sheer volume of, of food because we always stop. We'll have lunch with someone and we tend to make those lunches as... Uh, miserable as possible, <laughs> miserable and, uh, and short as possible. Yes. It's only got half an hour. Yeah. But even if you go to somewhere like Cheval Blanc, they very kindly give us lunch. I mean, it's uh, that turns into a longer experience. Yeah. But if you drink, do you have to be careful? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, the only place I've ever been breathalyzed is Bordeaux, and I'm we're spitting all the time. Yes. Uh, there's no question of of alcohol consumption and driving. So it's, and in fact, so you're not consuming at all. No, no, I'm, I'm good. So if I have a glass of wine at night, we're taking a taxi or we're, we're being dropped off. So, But you still like the glass of wine at night, uh, yeah, at the end of the day? When I'm working and way like that, possibly, might have one glass of wine. But it's, you've got a lot of work to do the next morning. And in Bordeaux, we were spending a lot of money. The 22 vintage, which, which is just being released, we will be spending a lot of money. So it's, it's important that we're, we're on the right path of the, the railway. And, you know, you've talked there about France, you've talked about Portugal. Do you travel the world or do you have specific areas or regions that, that you prefer? Yeah, well, funny, I've, I've, I've traveled to America. We've quite a portfolio of wines and from California. So we would have about 10 wineries we work with in California from Napa, Sonoma, Santa Barbara. So we do the stretch and that's uh, some of it's quite collected in, in sort of the Napa Valley region. We can three or four of our suppliers within an hour. Sonoma takes another sort of half hour across and then down to Santa Barbara. So we'd kind of do it logically and sometimes leave from a different airport. Uh, then the last time it was Vancouver, flew from uh, San Francisco across to Vancouver and spent some time with Canadian. Vineyard. Do you need any extra staff? I'm, I'm, I'm willing and, and able and free. It, it, it sounds fantastic, but I'm sure like every job, um, it has its highs, but it, it's hard work uh, as well. What about any uh, wines closer to home? We're hearing now, even in the south of England, vineyards cropping up. Is that because of climate change? Yes, it is. And some fantastic sparkling wines. I mean, we're bringing in some Exton Park um, state from south of England. And from Danbury Estate, they're making fantastic Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. The problem is UK wines are quite expensive. What, so w- what would they Well, be? typically a good bottle of English sparkling wine is around £30. Gosh. So you're buying champagne at the same level. So unless people are subjected to a lot of tastings and given some information, they will sometimes, the default is back to champagne. And do you think they're really as, uh, as good as France or Portugal? Oh, they're certainly getting there, and it's evidenced by some of the top champagne producers who have um, invested in England. They're, they're all coming in now and buying up properties, so climate change is going to play a big part. 
what about the island of Ireland? Will it ever see vineyards or has it got a vineyard? I think there's some vineyards planted around Cork, um, but, you know, Who after knows? the last two weeks, I think that's very possible. <laughs> yes. In fact, you could plant Char- Chardonnay is great because Chardonnay can grow anywhere, so... I have a couple of acres beside me. <laughs> Maybe I should. One of my Burgundian producers said he would go joint venture and we'd, we'd grow some uh, Chardonnay vines. I think it's still a little bit too young. Well, let's see. I'd love to buy a bottle of uh, Jim Nicholson wine. That would be would be absolutely brilliant. Um, do you feel proud of what you've achieved, Jim? I never take time because I've kind of got... There's one philosophy that says if it's um, if it's not broken, don't break it. But uh, my my view is if it's not broken, break it. So we're always challenging new ways, new things, trying to expand the business in a different way. So I'm very much I never really go back historically to what's what's been. I'm always looking today what's going to happen tomorrow. And what have been the biggest challenges for you in your business? Oh, I think look, government red tape, um, duty amounts. Uh, the tax that's being collected um, since Brexit. We we're very fortunate in, in, in the north of Ireland. We're very fortunate we have got um, the dual access. But as someone said the other day, just like you had before Brexit, <laughs> but it has made it, it's making it for us a lot easier. Uh, okay, to be able to get to Europe and yeah. uh, also to, to GB. I, th- I think also financing, you know, for every company, been able, we're, luckily we're sort of self-financed now. We're not borrowing from banks but it's tough for any business growing up in the country to to get access to finance now i wouldn't really like to be having a discussion with the bank looking for a few million quid to do something so if you were 22 now you think it would be much harder for you to get started i think it is and i think we have to sort of really get after that entrepreneurial skill set i mean we always talk about inward investment you know bringing people from america why can't we grow our own you know Mm. we should be growing with so many fantastic young entrepreneurs and fantastic business people in ireland who have really play on the world world stage so why can't we bring more of these young people up through our system you talked about your your 50 members of staff now who what obviously they have different skills you have different needs within the business but who do you look for what kind of person do you look for to work in the business it depends if you're looking for someone in sales you want that overt um, bright-eyed personality who's well informed about the product they're selling if you want someone in finance you want to make sure they're able to add two and two <laughs> it helps <laughs> so um, you know, you develop these these relationships as well um, within the, the business. They talk a lot at the moment about the culture of a business. Is that something that you would spend time on? I think we, hopefully, we look after our people very well and fairly close to them all. And we work in pods. We have a business in London and the guys there in Highbury Vintners, we, we give them a fair amount of freedom. Uh, we have our meetings, but we don't overburden them with, with red tape, with reporting. Same in the Republic of Ireland, we've got a company in Dublin, and they work as a kind of pod. Uh, we don't have that kind of, Yes, financially we're joined up in terms of the reporting, but we, we have the culture of Ireland and Ireland, with the culture of, the, of Northern Ireland in the north, with the culture of London and Highbury, so we kind of work on those cultures. And it's being very aware of those. And do you have to, to change your approach with each uh, different grouping of people? Yeah, London's very different to okay. Northern Ireland. It's probably more advanced in terms of uh, sophistication, in terms of what the market requires. 
um, and probably Dublin to some extent too is is ahead of the curve in, in, in Northern Ireland. We've been probably left, whether it's been troubles, whether it's been whatever, we've been left a little bit behind in terms of also not having any government, not having that drive. Um, we're still stuck a little bit in the in the old pathway. So if people are listening to this now and you know, I've got you in front of me, I may as well ask, if I'm going to choose a nice bottle of wine, um, maybe a red, white and a rosé, could you give us some tips? What should we be looking for? Well, I think the first thing, there's lots of very good independent wine shops in Northern Ireland and the Republic and some very good staff in all of those shops. So uh, if you want advice, you're going to get it in the independent sector from Belfast to Newry, wherever it may be, you're going to get people who know what they're what they're talking about. You go into supermarkets, there's going to be a lot less um, advice proffered. And I think keep their the pricing level. If you see something at five ninety nine, you're not going to have much of an experience. What so about the cost of living crisis? I mean, obviously, um, people are feeling the pinch, but yeah. does it always pay to spend that extra five pounds? Yes, it does. And I think just drink a little bit less. I mean, do you have do, do people have to drink maybe as much as they're consuming? We all have to ask ourselves, look, uh, I think this year we're expecting a decline in actual overall wine sales. Is that right? And alcohol sales in general. Is that because the younger people aren't drinking like the previous generation? I think absolutely right. I think it's possibly not acceptable to see the kind of level of alcohol consumption that we might have, I might have seen during my my early years and you see espresso bars at night it's it's and it's actually nice you see the a, cafe a, a culture cafe culture i think is fantastic so you don't feel threatened by that no because i don't want to see people falling around drinking too much i want to see people enjoying themselves and enjoying the experience and i mentioned there the younger generation i mean i have um young people and mm-hmm. uh, they definitely don't seem to consume uh, wine like like their parents did yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, as you say that's probably a, a good thing but they would s- how, how are you attracting the young pe- younger people to because they're still going to be your customers but you don't fear that you, you you have to get in there early I think probably young customers come to us more in their late 20s and I think they've decided for example we have a lot of young people who want to start a wine cellar so they start you know they don't have to start with thousands of pounds and maybe start buying six bottles of wine, 12 bottles of wine, they build up that cellar. Gosh. So that's a, you know, a nice experience because, I mean, wine is an art, it's a culture. Um, I like to think anyway that there's a story, some of the great vineyards, some of the great stories. When you go to Bordeaux and you go to some of the top properties or you're in Burgundy, I mean, these are wonderful places to visit. And I'd encourage people, get on the plane have a nice little trip around Bordeaux and make your appointments and go and see. There's well-laid-out tours. Yeah, it, it, it does. You're making it sound very attractive indeed. Now, when you're not uh, visiting the, the vineyard, you have a passion for horse racing as well, and you received an OBE in 2008 for your services to the racing industry. Tell me about that. I, I was I chaired Down Royal Racecourse for 20 years through a lot of very bad times, mm. and I bought quite a few slow horses over the years. <laughs> Uh, but I had a, f- the f- had a fantastic team at Down Royal. I mean, it was, yeah, you get these awards, which are lovely and gratifying. But I had a fantastic team there of, of three or four people who really made it work. So it was really a recognition that 
we may have taken it there, but I was only really the figurehead, so I feel sometimes guilty of these. Oh these dear, things. and was it a lovely experience getting your OBE? It was, yeah, because it, it didn't take in two, two years afterwards. My wife had been very ill, she had meningitis and uh, amputations and all sorts of things, so we made that visit. It was two years, um, and it was nice. The Queen was in residence, so we had the, the award by her, which was, oh, was nice. it was a special moment. Yeah. Special moment for and both of you. And then she's interested in horse racing as well. I'd met her before. We'd talked about racing at Down Royal, and, of course, she was absolutely... That was her passion in life. Um, but she had slightly better horses than I had. So. Oh, and how did you manage family life and, and running the business? Uh, in terms of illness and so forth? Yes. I know just by using it with it. I have... Um, I know the care business quite well now because I employ five of them. So, uh, so it's a, a different kind of life. And what kind of person do you think you are, Jim? You seem like a very positive person. That you know, even if life is giving you lemonade, uh, lemons, yeah. you're you're making the lemonade. Yeah, you, you look. You have to to make the. You get a hand of cards, so deal with the best way you can. And I think you know, in terms of my education, is uh, hopefully it's an inspiration to a lot of young people that and. The work um, was on the Youth Action Board. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Tell us about Youth Action. Well, they're a fantastic organisation to give 15,000 young people life chances. And when you talk to them, of course, they've got the Rainbow Factory. They've got the the various um, setups that they do, which is just incredible acting. And you get some of those young people who have got a lot of issues. It's amazing once they get a little bit of confidence, they can fly. And I think that's a lot of what's wrong with, with, with our young people, that they're not given that opportunity to give them the confidence uh, because they can all do so much. They're capable, I would say to them, you're capable of doing whatever you want to do. Mm. So don't feel that you're kind of stuck in this malaise. Well, we hear so much um, about privilege now. We're becoming much more aware of of how we were brought up and the opportunities that perhaps um, we had, even if we think we created them. Definitely the the world you're born into um, can dictate your life path. Um, You were on the board, uh, you were board director of Youth Action for 10 years. What attracted you to that? How did you get to be in that role? Because we always take a fairly proactive um, position on charities, good charities, and we had been supporting the charity for probably three or four years previously. And then they said, would I join the board? And uh, it was a very rewarding, probably I got more out of being on the board than the board got out of me. It was very um, sobering experience to see the trauma, difficulties and problems a lot of young people have. And how do you think you helped these young people? Did you ever get directly up close and personal? Yeah, we did. We always, at the sort of theatre, we met them. And at the boardroom, we always had um, a lot of the young people in and we met them at the various productions. Uh, Mary Campbell, who does, uh, the, she's the artistic director. She's fantastic. And if anyone gets a chance to go to the Rainbow Factory to see what they do. So these are performances uh, it's about acting? and They're astonishing. Is that right? Just astonishing, yeah. Yeah. And are there any particular stories that sort of stand out for you or any people that you remember forever? I remember getting a call, getting a text one late at night from Mary saying, would, it, would I... Would I uh, join Stars in Their Eyes? So I remember the board of directors decided to be the Rat Pack for the evening. <laughs> and uh, and we actually won, I think. Everyone took, um, oh. we, they took pity on us. Which character were you? Which? Um, I can't remember, but I was trying to stay in the background as much as oh. possible. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you obviously got a lot out of that, as you say. You got more maybe than, than some of the young people. Um, would you encourage other people to sit on boards? Yeah, it's very difficult now because the responsibility and the due diligence, when you're saying just particularly young people, would you come on this board? They say, oh, I'm taking all this responsibility, That's giving right. up all this time. But I think if your business is doing well and you've, you've started, it's a great thing, rewarding thing to put back into charities. We've probably sort of supported maybe 10 charities over the period of the last 20 years. And it's been a great privilege to do so. And it's great to give something back. Mm. Maybe we haven't give, given back as much as we'd like to have given, but we do what we can. And when you're choosing which board, if, if you do think, oh, well, maybe I could uh, give the time, does it take up a lot of time or...? Not really, because I, when I when I was in Down all night chair, I didn't waste a lot of time, mm-hmm. and I think you can you you can time set up a board. Time is precious, isn't it? Well, it's not precious, but you can get through an agenda properly without having to spend hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. There's generally always one person who likes to make every monopolize. Little, uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, good meeting management is absolutely uh, crucial. Do you always align yourself to? Um, the charity maybe or to when you're looking who do I want to help which board should I be on should you be passionate about that that the subject area or the issues not particularly because we've done wildlife trust we've done uh, we've done youth action and it's not particularly wanting to be in a board I've been in a couple of boards but there's no desire now to be in a board I mean you can help a lot without having to go to a formal meeting or join a board and get involved with all the infrastructure and we'll still continue to support the charity even though we're I'm not involved anymore. I was going to ask you what you like to do in your spare time but it doesn't sound like you have much. No I do, I've, uh, funny I've got good people working in the business, they'll be laughing on the, <laughs> we better make sure. <laughs> Who's <they> that guy? <laughs> <laughs> we never we see him. We used to know, know him. No well some people say to me sometimes who runs a business when you're there, I said the same people who run it when I'm not there. <laughs> Great. So um, I'm very lucky it's all been able to have the, the people I have around me is is a privilege. And so for people maybe at earlier stages in their business or they're still at that point where they feel like they're doing it all, yes. how do you make that transition to the delegation and the handing over? Is that hard? I think it's quite good to understand every aspect of your business. And I'm not a great detail person. I'm a bit more sort of helicopter in view than maybe I should be. I don't delve into the sort of minutia of it all. But when the business first starts off, you've really got to understand the aspects and also you know what for example a van driver has to put up with what what difficult life he has to leave it you have to be very aware of the people and the challenges they have and I think by doing a lot of that stuff yourself now so much of it's digital and people are going into into the digital world which is a different world to Mm. to 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 mine so some of those I don't understand at all but you know that they're necessary and you bring people in who, who know that world very well. Yeah, and it's lovely because some of those young people are suddenly worth two billion in five minutes. <sighs> wow. So, so, What's next for you and JN Wines? Yeah, well, we're probably going to double the size of our London business. So we're working at that. And we have expansion plans in the Republic. Um, and to Northern Ireland, any opportunity that comes up. And we will possibly look at one small venture out in Europe. Um, that's... We're in the middle of discussing that at the moment, so that, that might be some fun. Um, any sign of resting yeah, well, ahead? Age does catch I just had a big birthday recently, so age, age does ca- catch up. But I kind of, 
if you start letting the old person into your body, then you're, you may as well pack in. Yeah. And I couldn't retire tomorrow. I don't think it would be. I have to be active doing something. You'll be going forever. Um, Jim, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. I have to ask you the final question that I ask all of the guests sitting in the hot seat. It's about the purpose of this podcast, which is to inspire existing business owners and those ambitious entrepreneurs tuned in today who want to grow their business. And you can offer insight into the success of your business, um, JN Wines. What advice then would you give to people who may have the business idea but have no idea where to begin or they're unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Well, you've got to be sure that it is worth taking. You've got to do the homework. You've got to do the analysis and look at the market. Does the market need this? You've got to look at the mirror and make sure, look, am I capable of, of driving this on? Am I capable of devoting much as much time to develop this? I mean, you've got to put in the 12-hour days I'm not saying forever, but certainly to get the business up and running. Nothing is easy out there. You really have to work at it. And I just be true to yourself and decide, is this really what I want to do? And am I going to be satisfied doing it? And don't also there's a there's another aspect. People tend to want to have a big business very quickly. Nothing wrong with starting, you know, I was taking stuff out of the back of a car. Nothing wrong with that. I sometimes think people want to jump too quickly and they don't want to work the hard miles there's a lot of turn the computer on and away we go and it just doesn't work that way yeah there are very few people who get the quick win it is the grafters that always get there eventually jim it's been a pleasure to have you in the studio today thank you so much for joining me on the public eye podcast and uh, join me next time everyone when i'll be talking to davina gordon from naissance marketing on another fantastic episode of the public eye podcast This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.